Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, as always, we kind of put our notes together to a collective sheet that we shared, although this week I'll, I'll let the listeners know that you carried a lot more of the workload than I did. We are pretty much going to turn this into just a listener Q&A. Uh, we opened the uh, floor for questions regarding whether it was Patreon, Twitter, or whatever else, and pretty much everything that we received kind of to use a overused cliche, checked every box that we had from a content perspective and uh, literally checked what we had on the sheet. So uh, we'll go into this and pretty much turn it over to the listeners, see where it goes, have a good back and forth, free flowing uh, conversation. I'm sure a lot of this will be tied to the uh, new hire, uh, new coaching staff, salary of said coaches and everything else tied to uh, to the Mike Norville era. But uh, before we get into it, Louisiana Hot Sauce makes everything possible for the Nolcast title sponsor since show one. Want to give them acknowledgement, thank them for the support they give us, tip of the hat to them that makes everything that we do possible. Absolutely, man. It's, it's a great product for us, and we use it on just about everything, and, and they've, been, they've been with us throughout the process. All right, to lead, lead us off here, we have a batch of questions that are largely about the search and the search process. Uh, so Christian asks, just for kicks, can we hear some of the, some of the reported 30 names that the admin talked to that we maybe wouldn't have expected? Uh, this is a name that I think we might have mentioned at the very earliest part of the process, but I'm not sure we talked about much in the back half. I know they good, healthy glance at uh, Matt Rule. That's not necessarily a name that people wouldn't expect. I, I know other people mentioned it, but... Uh, I, honestly, we were we put most of the cards on the table when it came to the names that we heard. There was, uh, and we we pretty much discussed every name that uh, that we were uh, had a high degree of confidence that Florida State had brought across the roster, and you know, we threw some names out there that were not expected uh, by many. I know the Deion Sanders one was something that some people had a problem with, but uh, perhaps there's a broader strategy behind. Uh, him talking to some of these teams. Yeah, I so from what I was told about the Dion thing, basically the Dion pitch was that Dion uh, wanted to be like the director of like football marketing and branding, essentially, not necessarily, not necessarily being the head coach. And I think this is sort of like the model in some ways that Arizona State is using with Herm Edwards, where he's kind of like the director of football, and then they have some other guys who also do a lot of coaching, and you have a sort of a different group of guys who, who run the recruiting, almost more of an NFL model. And I got to thinking about this when somebody was telling me that that was kind of what was getting pitched around. And we know that Dion tried to talk to Arkansas, too, and, and I, I think it was reported that they, they did speak with him. Obviously, I don't think he got anywhere close to being hired at any of these schools, but... Uh, I got to thinking about this, and I said, well, Dion's pretty heavily involved with Under Armour, and before Herm Edwards got hired, he was very heavily involved with Under Armour and actually coached with a guy named Herm Edwards. And Dion, they coached together at the Under Armour All-American game. And so I was like, I wonder if Dion isn't thinking, hey, Herm can do this. Why can't I do this? And, I mean, the answer is pretty obvious. Like, Herm Edwards has 30 years of coaching experience, including, you know, coaching the Jets and did take them to the AFC title game. Uh, one time, so there's that. But I, I think that's what what Dion is pitching. Um, do I think it would work? Probably not. But that's that's kind of what the pitch appears to be. 
good for Dion. You know, whatever he's trying to do, I uh, hope he's able to uh, find success with it and uh, seems to be kind of an area that he's branching out into and wish him the best of luck. Steven asks, what does an interview with a potential head coach look like? With all the film of their games available, what are the conversations they have about besides off-the-field coaching decisions? How does one already um, how does one already successful coach quote interview better than other already successful coaches? Okay, so these are a lot longer than your typical job interview, right? I don't know how many job interviews you guys have had recently, but pretty sure they don't take four or five hours. And, and some of these these meetings with coaches do take that long. Uh, I, I don't think you have guys like John Thrasher and Ed Burr and David Coburn breaking down film. Uh, they're more looking at, at what your track record is, what you've done, what your rate of improvement is. So not necessarily, hey, like what's your overall record, because that's kind of a, a silly metric, uh, honestly. Looking at, at what you inherited and what you did with it matters a lot. But then they, they start to look at broader issues. Okay, how, how would you fit our culture at this school? How would you interact with our boosters? Where's your recruiting history? What is your recruiting history? Uh, who? What is your history of hiring people? Who would you want to bring uh, with you on staff? How many of your current staff would you take with you? Uh, what What do you need as far as um, facilities, support staff, all these type of things? Right? How, how quickly do you think you could get this team to whatever desired level is? Of the admin, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions they ask. Then they're going to ask for references that that are going to say nice things about you, obviously, and they're hopefully going to follow up on those references. If you happen to be a coach who, you know, maybe has some off-field stuff that they're concerned about, um, then I, I think that would definitely be something they would look into there uh, and ask you about it. And we we've definitely heard of coaches bombing in interviews because they they just didn't answer uh, either truthfully or appropriately when asked about some of those things. Uh, but it's it's different than a normal job interview because clearly you have different qualifications to be a coach than you do just to you know be a salesperson or something. But uh, th- there are also a lot of similarities. You are trying mm-hmm. to impress yeah. the admin, and they're trying to figure out uh, like what can they learn about you that they can't already know by googling you and looking at your record and, and, and seeing what you've done. They're trying to figure out what kind of person you are. Also, I think that matters a lot. And some people are just not very good in an interview setting, right? We, we had heard for a long time, you know, Dan Mullen was trying to get almost every job under the sun when he was in, in Starkville. And year after year, he would try to interview places and the reputation around there, and I don't know if it was true, was that he wasn't that great of an interviewer. And ultimately, the guy who hired him, and he was Florida's, what, third or fourth choice, I think it was, but the guy who hired him was a dude who probably didn't really have to interview him. It was Scott Strickland, the guy who had been his AD at Mississippi State. And even then, he wasn't the top choice there at Florida. He, he, they wanted several other people instead of him first, uh, including Chip Kelly. But, yeah, that's that, that's kind of my answer for that. Yeah, I, I think you pretty much nailed it. I mean, there certainly are similarities where if you just go in and somebody looks at you and decides that's that, people make, like, ridiculously rash decisions sometimes maybe florida state was part of that but it doesn't mean that really wealthy people with exceptionally successful business backgrounds i mean arthur blank famously sat down with jim mora one afternoon and pretty much was ready to give the keys of his franchise over to him and did and jim mora at the time was a 
you know, young, good looking guy with an NFL pedigree and kind of kind of an empty suit <laughs> at most places that he goes to. Uh, but you can nail the interview and really convince somebody of uh, things and put a belief in you that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have. And like you said, in many ways, that's not all that different than, you know, when you go and interview for the accounting position or the uh, manager or sales position or whatever it may be. I agree with there. So MJ asks, uh, hey, we've now had three years since the early signing period started. Uh, you mentioned how this might affect coaching, hiring, and firing. We saw that in full effect this year. How much did the early firings help schools like Florida State and Arkansas compared to Ole Miss, USF, or Missouri? What other side effects besides recruiting do you think we will see from early signing day as it relates to coaches? I think that it absolutely helped Florida State some uh, because, as John Thrasher said, they liked Mike Norvell immediately. But I also know for a fact that they had to check in a lot to these uh, rumors and, and, and stuff that people had said were the reasons why Norvell did not get hired in 2017 with those open SEC jobs. And I, think they, I think they needed that time to check into that. They also needed that time uh, to look in to see if they could get somebody better, right? Like, let's be real here. I think a lot of people are pretty excited about Mike Norvell, but would they be more excited about Bob Stoops or James Franklin or Brian Kelly? Also, yes. So this afforded them the time to say, okay, we are going to go after a guy like Mike Norvell, talk, about, talk to him, vet him to the best of our ability, but also shoot the moon and see if you can land one of those guys like a Stoops or, or a Franklin or Kelly, if you put Campbell in that category, I really don't, um, or, or Campbell. So you, you, it, it afforded them more time uh, to, to make a decision, certainly. I don't know that the end result is amazing. I think it's probably the, arguably the best they could have done in this cycle, given who, who else said no, and given their situation, obviously with, with, with the AD and president being lame ducks um, to a certain extent. What other side effects besides recruiting do you think you'll see from early signing day as it relates to coaches? Uh, I have a feeling that the, that the, uh, the schools that make a lot of changes uh, in the early signing period era are going to become cautionary tales of what not to do. Even if you agree with the firing Willie Taggart, and I, I think I do overall just because of what was going on with, with money not coming in for the pledges uh, that had already been made and, and you know it was basically a financial issue. I think there's a good chance that schools like Florida State and Arkansas do become cautionary tales of, of what negative things can happen to you when you fire coaches that quickly in the early signing period era. So it, it really could cause uh, more patience in, in some of these uh, coaching decisions. But at the same time, the pressure just keeps getting ratcheted up as the money goes up. So may, maybe I'll be wrong on that. Next question comes from Tony, and Tony asks, is it true that James Franklin was a viable candidate for the head coaching job after Jimbo's departure? I mean, <laughs> uh, it, it, there wasn't a very long search for many people to be a viable candidate. He, he was certainly discussed uh, in the room of people who made the decision, and James Franklin, according to, to most, had a high, much higher interest in the position, but... I don't, I don't know how many viable candidates there really were in, in the 2017 search because it really didn't last that long. I think Florida State got negative feedback about him from someone it trusted in that search. I see what you said there. Yeah. Uh, 
All right, right, Vinay asks, uh, I'll read this one, let you answer it, and we'll get back into uh, the flow of things. Vinay asks, I think Thrasher had mentioned that if they had been patient two years back, they probably would have picked Norvell then. On hindsight, do you think Norvell feels lucky that he did not get picked two years ago? Interesting. Could he really have done too much better than Taggart? Or would the fans have been wanting him to be replaced with a very successful Oregon head coach, Willie Taggart, after two years of having the same or similar record with Norvell at the helm? Assuming Willie Taggart was successful in the two years at Oregon uh, with Nike funds uh, driving things and uh, maybe perhaps lower expectations. So this is a really neat question. First of all, I I didn't see John Thrasher say that. Did, Did he say that? He, he yeah, there's a there's a, a verifiable quote that he said he was no, he did not say that he would have preferred or would he would have gone back and picked him. He said, uh, you know, he was on our radar and in retrospect, we didn't do a good enough job of really looking at uh, what our options were back then. I think it's a, a strong inference to say that he would have picked him two years ago, uh, but there was a a quote where I could I would disagree with the uh, with the extrapolation, but I can certainly see where somebody might take that from what Thrasher said. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I, if th- there's no way that Florida state would have hired Mike Norvell in 2017, he, he had what two years of head coaching experience at that point. At that point, the idea of him taking over for Justin Fuente uh, and just maintain and just kind of holding serve uh, was pretty accurate. Right, I mean, he really had not improved the program that much through two years after Justin Fuente. In fact, a lot of the improvements have come over the last two years. There, uh, no, I, I don't think that you're going to get a guy who has two years of head coaching experience uh, at the G5 level to come coach Florida State. Now they got a guy now with four who has shown, you know, some more steady improvement. Um, could he have done much better than Taggart? I, I think it's certainly possible that, that he could have. Um, because I think he could have avoided some of the missteps, but he also could have fallen into some of the same traps, right? The falling into the hype of believing that just because it's Florida State that the roster is amazing. He could have also perhaps ignored advice that people give him about how there are some real issues with this roster that, you know, these kids will quit on you and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, I think he probably would have done better than Taggart. I mean, if I had to just play the odds, I, I think the odds are, are yes. Willie had a lot of stuff that, that he screwed up himself. And I think that if, you know, you could give him a do-over uh, that he would not have done again. They're stuff that's kind of out of character for him. Uh, would they have wanted to replace him with Willie Taggart after three years or two years? Uh, yeah, I think probably so as well, yes, especially given the offensive line issues. I mean, that's regardless of who the head coach was, some of the issues with this roster were not going to be fixed, and that, that, that put a ceiling on this team. Now, was that ceiling five and seven and then six and six? No, I, I don't believe so. I mean, I, I think everybody acknowledges that you probably should have been, uh, I don't know, if you had done a, a good or a really good coaching job, you probably would have been about three wins better, I would say, in the two-year span. Um, maybe what, seven and five and, and six and six, something like that. Maybe you pull an eight and four and a six and six one of those two years. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's a very good chance they, they would have wanted – uh, Taggart, if, if Taggart had done well at Oregon, you know, continued to do well at Oregon, um, had they hired Norvell first. But I don't think that Norvell was a legitimate candidate in, in 2017. And I don't think his resume supported him being a, a legitimate candidate in 2017. So the, the premise of the question is interesting, but I'm not sure it's actually 
uh, reality. His extrapolation of it's not reality. Like, you know how we just talked about 30 names or that takeaway from what he said is not reality. Uh, we just talked about 30, maybe 35 names that Florida State might have touched at at some point in the period of time. Would Mike, would Mike Norvell have been perhaps suggested by, you know, somebody that was compiling a database of 30 to 40 coaches back then? Perhaps. I don't think that's necessarily ridiculous and that Thrasher said he could have been on the radar. Uh, that's not necessarily saying that he was one of your final three candidates or anything like that two years ago. So uh, just kind of nitpicking here and we'll move on to the next question. But uh, it's a it's an interesting look back and I think uh, we would all raise a glass to uh, here's not to us having to go through a coaching search anytime in the next uh, two to three years. So uh, let's uh, hear here. that. Yeah. All right. So we'll transition to kind of new business or other things that uh, are not tied to the search or a subject matter that we've immediately talked about recently. Andrew leads us off. Could you explain how or why there was such behind the scenes disorganization with Willie Taggart and what Mike Norvell needs to do to fix it? Yeah. Uh, so I think a, a couple things here. Number one, uh, I think Willie struggled to get a lot of his plan A guys. Uh, in the building, for instance, you know Jim Levitt and Arroyo and, and Cristobal and whatnot, and I feel like the drop off between his Plan A guys and some of his Plan B guys uh, was was rather significant. Um, I think that caused him some problems. I mean, this is probably pretty obvious to everybody listening, but that was really an issue. I, I'm not sure that some of the administrative and sort of in the building people he brought with him were were very good either, and I think that was compounded by Florida State kind of slowly losing good people over time as well within the building. Um, and I'm not sure how competent at their job some of those people over there at Florida State who, who work internally really are. So I think you had a situation where some of the people that Willie brought with him were not very good. And then you had people inside the building who also were kind of incompetent and had been complained about, I know, by Jimbo's staff too. So when you had some people in internally who weren't very good that Willie brought, there was really nobody else to check them at times uh, in, in football. And I think that was, that was a problem. For instance, you know, not, not getting the right hotel sometimes in, in road games, maybe staying too far away, or just you know, some, some travel issues, uh, like some of the issues with not like the actual organization and practice within it, but making sure everybody from you know, training and equipment and all that stuff were, were on the same schedule. Uh, things like that that just really should be pretty automatic and that, that I don't think they had a problem with at Oregon, to my knowledge. Uh, so that was kind of surprising to me, obviously. And I think it surprised a lot of people the, the extent uh, of the way that it went down. Uh, how should uh, Mike Norvell uh, combat that? One... I think that he should try to bring a lot of his internal people from Memphis and see if he can get some of the people in the building uh, replaced. Just, I mean, that's that involves people losing their jobs, but I think he needs to kind of get, and I'm not talking about, hey, just replace the, some of the people that Taggart brought. I'm talking about replace some of the people who have been there for a while who, who maybe aren't, aren't that good. Um, we reported a couple names on the last show that we thought were candidates to come along. Uh, with him, if you want to listen to that, I, I highly recommend doing so. But yeah, that's that's what he needs to do to fix it, and they they need to be able to have an open dialogue with uh, with, with Coburn and those guys. And say, hey, like 
this person is not helping our mission of, of playing winning football here. And we have a lot of obstacles to overcome. We don't need to uh, set up our own obstacles to overcome, right? We have enough stuff that we ha don't have control over. If this is something we have control over, let's let's try to fix it. Um, and you got to hope that uh, the the admin will be receptive to that. Appropriate that it's a listener Q and A session here, Bud, as I will uh, give our listeners uh, my own feedback, and that is that I'll go ahead and ring the bell that uh, the 17th of each month is Reuben Day. Uh, something that uh, Madso has uh, stood above the crowd since day one, what they do one day a month. Uh, they take it real seriously, and they put out a real serious product uh, as a as a result of it. So want to point people in that direction uh, as just your monthly reminder and also point people to the Madison social, social media, the Mike Norvell Built for Playmakers pint set uh, that is available. And uh, go ahead and need to make up your mind on that as quick as possible if that's something... Uh, that you want, at least from the shirt perspective, before the holidays. And why wouldn't you? I mean, who wants to start their, their collection off with that? I do. It's, it's pretty sweet. All right. Uh, so this question asks, can you discuss uh, Fuller and Lanning? That is, of course, Adam Fuller, who since the last episode has been announced as Florida State's defensive coordinator, and Dan Lanning, uh, who uh, was a certainly a candidate to be the defensive coordinator as well at Florida State. He is the D.C. at Georgia, although uh, I think we had some doubts as to whether he is really running their defense or if he's kind of calling, you know, Kirby Smart stuff. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, that's what what's going on there. Uh, Adam Fuller is the new defensive coordinator for Florida State. Uh, just a quick recap, if you have not listened to the prior episode, it's only like 25 minutes. It was kind of just a special little bonus episode that, that we did for everybody. Uh, I would highly recommend that you do go listen to it. But uh, if you did not listen to it, uh, Adam Fuller so far has done two pretty solid defensive turnarounds. Uh, let me pull this up. Okay, so uh, Adam Fuller has uh, coached two FBS defenses, and he's been a DC as well for... I think five or six years at, at the FCS level, uh, and all the defenses that he's been on have shown uh, pretty significant improvements. So the guy has a track record for turning around uh, poor defensive play. So uh, let's check this out. Uh, at Marshall, uh, the year before he took over the defense, they were 97th in defense. The year after he took over the defense, they were 25th. Okay, 97th to 25th is what, is what I'm showing here in SP+. Plus. So that, that's opponent adjusted. Clearly, that's not all Adam Fuller. There's no way that he's like that much of a magician because if he was, he would just be like the head coach of Alabama right now. But still, 97th to 25th is uh, a pretty legitimate improvement. That was at Marshall. That improvement uh, caught the eye of one Mike Norvell because in 2018, Memphis's defense was 87th. And... In 2019, Memphis's defense was 35th. So that is a 52-spot improvement in his first year as a defensive coordinator for Memphis. That's the first year at the school, by the way. He was already at Marshall when, when their defense was 97th. He was just not the defensive coordinator. But in his one year as a coordinator at Marshall, the defense improved 72 spots. So Ingram, his, his last two times that he took over a defense, it jumped 72 and 52 spots. If... Florida State's defense jumps by the same average that, that he has been improving defenses with. Uh, I think people will be extreme, <laughs> extremely pleased in Tallahassee uh, 
Uh, because if he gets a 62 spot jump for Florida State, that means Florida State will have the number six defense in the entire nation. Yeah, that'll be getting a new con. Yeah, he'll be getting a new contract, and he'll be Florida State's first two million dollar a year coordinator. So, right. uh, um, yeah. Honestly, other positives. He has a shaved head. I I want my defensive coordinator <laughs> to be bald for the most part. I know Charles Kelly didn't work out so well at times, but uh, he's 44 years old. Uh, I, do you have a, do you have concerns about his coaching or lack of coaching at the FBS level? Um, no, I think the guy is pretty clearly shown to be a good coach. My only real question is how good of a recruiter the guy is because I just really haven't encountered him a whole lot. Uh, I think that's the one check mark you'd probably give to Landing because he has a whole lot of experience in uh, in recruiting at at, at this level. Coaching-wise, I don't think there's any doubt that, that Fuller's a lot more proven than Lanning is. Yeah, no, Fuller's something to be excited about. Lanning, I'm not saying he's like style over substance at all, but he's he's a sexier option. He's a young guy. He's going and recruiting kids with a G on his chest right now, uh, while the other guy that we're talking about has worked at you know, Memphis and Marshall, respectively. It's a, it's a different level of experience. But when you look at you know the X's and O's, and trust me, this defense has uh, had all kinds of issues, but and one of them is developing talent, but there are some very simple fundamental aspects of having, you know, three different levels of your defense play in a manner that's compatible with each other uh, that I think somebody like Fuller will address immediately. And in many ways is a, is a you know, we talk all the time about ceiling and floor. Uh, Fuller, I, in my opinion, much higher floor. Lanning, really attractive guy, would, uh, attractive uh, coach in a sense of what his career trajectory is. Wouldn't shock me if in five years he's not coaching a really big-time program, but uh, it's just two different kind of people to compare to. Exactly. So uh, counting up, he has one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven years as a defensive coordinator, and he's 44. So – that's that's a decent amount of experience actually calling your own defense. As we discussed on the last show, uh, Norvell is a very offensive-heavy guy, and he also has some special teams involvement. So he kind of needs somebody to be basically the head coach of the defense. I, I think that Fuller is fully capable of doing that. Uh, I also think the idea of getting him as a position coach is a bit of a pipe dream. You, there's no way in hell this guy would have to, to, to lower himself down to being just a position coach after engineering those two type of turnarounds in back-to-back years, right? Yep. And some people have emailed us, and we do check the emails. Obviously, we try to get back to everybody. It's pretty tough because we have a big audience, and we love y'all. Um, people are like, well, well, maybe they had more seniors those years. Okay, maybe they did. I, I have to look into that more. They didn't have 72 spots better in SP+, Plus <laughs> just, just by having more seniors. I'm pretty sure. Um, so, yeah. Looks like his, his experience as a coach, though, is in terms of a specific position, for the most part, is linebackers and safeties. Uh, those are two positions that have not always played real well at Florida State in recent years. Um, if Fuller is coaching the linebackers, that's actually a position that I'm pretty uh, bullish on, despite the fact they're losing Rice and DJX and those guys. Because I, I do think that some of the guys you recruited recently – are going to raise the floor at that position. That's that's a theme we talked about recently as far as, yes, you did not sign a whole lot of five stars. You also probably raised the floor of getting some guys who are unlikely to just totally suck. I don't think the Loach and, uh, and come on, Glenn and um, 
Oh, what's his name? Uh, McCray. IMG. McCray, right, are, are, are just going to totally bust. I, I'd be pretty surprised about that. So yeah, that's uh, that's our that's our Fuller uh, and Lanning discussion. Um, one name. This is the only thing I was going to put in here. Uh, T.J. Rushing is a name that I think I think everybody should take a look at uh, as far as a coach. He's he's an interesting interesting resume. Uh, he won a Super Bowl. He played for Stanford. Uh, he was the uh, defensive passing game coordinator uh, for Memphis in in 2018. Uh, I'm Pulling up his bio here, uh, I believe. I think. Excuse me. He was on the staff as well in 2019. He was with Norvell um, uh, at Arizona State in 2013 and 2014 as a GA, and then as a quality control coach, he played uh, four, uh, five years in the NFL, including win- winning that Super Bowl with the Colts. Uh, and so that's that's not a bad thing, right? A, a guy who played. Uh, for Harbaugh at Stanford, and then won a Super Bowl with the Colts. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He's a pretty young guy. He's 36 years old. Uh, he's not a bad guy to, to look at as someone to bring on as a DB coach. I know that everybody's t- talking about T-Buck, 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 and, and Terrell Buckley, who is obviously the DB coach there at Mississippi State. And fans are going to do that because they always want to bring home the the – the hometown hero uh, type thing because T-Buck was a great player for Florida State. But it's kind of rare that you see coaches go out and get guys who they don't really have a relationship with. And I don't know how well, if at all, Coach Norvell uh, knows T-Buck. He clearly knows uh, T.J. Rushing a lot. So it wouldn't surprise me if Fuller likes T.J. Rushing. Uh, and I assume he does because he, you know, he, he's the defensive uh, uh, pass game coordinator there at Memphis and the corners coach, it wouldn't surprise me to see him on staff. I'll I'll, I'll just put that out there. All right, Ingram here to tell you about Resolution Home Loans. Of course, the sponsor of the Nolcast Studios. Resolution helped me get my my mortgage on my house, and they've helped about 40 Nolcast listeners do the same. Why? Great rates, great customer service. They'll walk you through the process. Maybe a little null chat uh, as well. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN, you'll get hooked up with Shannon Young. He's the guy you need to get your mortgage. Or go to FSUHomeLoans.com. It's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Several Patreon members uh, fired this one in. Basically just a broader conversation about can we discuss Willie and FAU. So, yeah, be really interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Taggart's inheriting... A pretty, pretty decent roster, conference champion, uh, going to be able to recruit South Florida and be close to his family. And certainly from an outside would look as though uh, there's a lot of ingredients for him to have success. I personally hope that he finds it. And uh, it'll be an interesting little litmus test as to, one, whether or not he chooses to get the band back together, and two, uh, how they how they handle things and what it, what the end product on the field looks like. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people ask me on Twitter, like, why in the hell would FAU do this? They, they just want a conference, and, um, you know, Willie failed pretty spectacularly at Florida State. And I said, yeah, exactly. If you just use – if you're a Florida State guy, you're not going to hire Willie Tackett again. If you only use his Florida State experience, which is very relevant because it's his most recent experience, uh, then you're not going to hire him. However, if you look at his total track record as a head coach, you'll see a guy who 
has taken and improved the trajectory of three of the four programs that he has coached at. So I think you'd be kind of a moron as an AD to totally ignore the prior experience. And if you're FAU, you're looking for a guy who can recruit like Lane Kiffin did. Certainly Taggart is an elite recruiter. He didn't have the greatest product to sell at Florida State relative to what its normal standards are. A lot of that is his own fault. Some of it's not, but a lot of it is. Uh, Then I think you can totally understand the hire there. But if I'm FAU, I do want him to bring a couple different coaches with with him perhaps, and especially some different people administratively. Uh, And my guess is that FAU and Florida State probably talked about this, uh, this hire, because we know that Florida State and FAU spoke uh, when, when Florida State was trying to vet Kendall Bryles. It would not shock me at all if FAU reached out to Florida State and said, hey, what what do you think? Is this guy just, is he damaged goods forever? Can he be a good coach again? Who knows? Uh, and so I, my guess is that FAU spoke with Florida State about this. And the buyout is reduced now for Florida State because there is an offset, I believe, by, was it three and a quarter, three and three quarters, something like that, over the, uh, the span of the buyout. So, FAU is certainly doing Florida State a solid, and this is actually, I think, the third job uh, to where uh, Taggart was a, uh, a finalist for. Uh, we know that he was, I think, in the mix at Old Dominion, and I'm trying to think what the other, oh, USF, obviously, that, that was a job they were looking at, although they ended up hiring um, Jeff Scott from Clemson, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I can give you on I don't, I don't hope the guy fails, obviously. Uh, I have my doubts about his success there if he's not willing to change some things. I'll say that. Yeah. Not on the sheet and random, but uh, Michael Kelly, USF's AD. Yeah, somebody to just keep an eye on uh, as to how he does. It's uh, relatively new for him to not to get into the business of college sport. He's done that forever. Uh, worked with the ACC for a long time. But uh, if he does well, and Florida State looks for an athletic director in 18 months or so, it uh, wouldn't shock me if that's not one of the names on the radar. That's not a bad idea, actually. He, he's he's a guy who, communications-wise, is is really good. And really good. Former master. co-commissioner of the conference. Uh, impressive individual. All right. Uh, and we've had some conversations with him before. So, what does a school like Florida State, Ryan asks, uh, what does a school like Florida State need to do in order to get back to elite recruiting? It seems like recent success is a big factor. Uh, and, of course, without great recruiting, it's difficult to have a lot of success. Is it more a matter of being, quote, fully committed? Uh, or what other factors are driving elite-level recruits? And can Florida State get back in that game? Uh, well, I'll, I'll offer some. And if you want to offer some, uh, let's, let's go ahead and do that. So, uh, look, obviously on-field success is a part of it. But it's not the only part of it. And... You need to sell a vision to recruits about what things are, are going to be like. That, that's what the best recruiters do. And then you need to follow it up with enough evidence on the field that the recruits can believe that, that something's taking place. You also need to tell them kind of what they can expect to see in the fall when you're recruiting them in the spring and summer. That's an area where I think Florida State screwed up, right? I, I believe that Willie Taggart's a really elite recruiter. I think he had a very good recruiting staff uh, in, in many ways. But... At the same time, I don't think that the messaging from them to recruits was very good in terms of of what they expected to have on the field in the fall relative to what actually happened on the field in the fall. I think that the the gap in terms of the number of wins they thought they were going to have, which again makes me question if they knew what the hell they were looking at sometimes, uh, and the gap like between what they actually had 
was too great. And I think it made some recruits question as to if they knew what they were doing, especially when it kind of happened again this offseason. Recruiting is a lot about hype and sales. You got to say, hey, this is what we want it to be. This is what I was left. There's not a whole lot of talent here right now. I love my kids I have on this roster. I'm going to work my butt off to develop them. But look, we need a better starting point, and you are that better starting point. So help help us make Florida State you know, much better. Help Florida State return to greatness here. Obviously, identifying kids early, which Florida State's going to be behind the eight ball doing here because they, they don't have a recruiting staff in place right now. They are going to be trapped working on, on you know, like basically behind schedule trying to get any kind of class in for 2020. So that's going to put them way behind on the 2021 class, which is why I'm saying this is a major rebuild. Uh, and they're not going to have great on-field results for, for a year or two, I think, most likely, maybe three, uh, just because some of the talent on the roster and some of the issues you have and, and who you've scheduled um, coming up. But a lot of it is selling hype, selling playing time, having dynamic recruiters on your staff, having a good enough office staff to where you are evaluating kids early and fast and getting on them, communicating with them well, having a good social media graphics department. You saw Florida State screwed that up the other day again. They had that just very poorly done Yoda graphic, uh, which... They're just a silly, unforced error, and not the first one that we've uh, we've seen from that group. Yeah, so um, there's there's a lot of things that could be better there. To be sure, and they, I think they're having some turnover in that department too right now. So we'll see who, who Mike Norvell wants to bring in. I mean, take a look at what LSU is doing. Take a look at what Florida is doing, as far as their and obviously Clemson, who Ohio State about that. Yeah, Oklahoma. It, yeah. It's night and day the, the recruiting operations of those schools and, and Florida States, and so a lot of it just comes down to spending, right? Like, are you going to spend? With Willie, they started out kind of cheap and then went super cheap. They cut they cut the guy's budget. They lost good people. They lost good talent identification people to SEC schools and to Clemson over kind of just pennies, man. Like some of the stories we were hearing were like, what? Like you won't pay a guy 60 and he's making 45 and a school like Georgia wants him? Like, guys, what, what the hell? Like that that's – they're not – like it's not like, hey, this guy wants another 100000 So – you got to spend the money. Got to have the patience, obviously. Uh, I mean, if a new AD comes in and decides he wants his own guy after just two, three years, then that'll be an issue too. So we'll have to see how, if they can get out of this. But a lot of it comes down to funding, hype, vision, reasonable expectations, meeting those reasonable expectations, and patience. There's things that you can do. I mean, everybody wants to talk about dropping bags and you – you also have to be – you have to do the the simple stuff to be successful. I mean, you have to have a plan. You have to have a – you can't have a one of your more massive targets that you're going to have in the in your uh, quote-unquote regime only have a relationship with Walt Bell and not ever have any kind of plan B for that. There, you got to be more – professional and scheduling visits and having recruits trips go in a manner that's organized and shows your program in the best light perspective. There's everybody wants to talk about, you know, new cars and parents getting new jobs and everything else. And that's certainly the reality of the situation and uh, something that exists and matters to a lot of decisions that happen. Uh, But there's also just simple execution 
that has to happen in this process. And that's an area that uh, Florida State can dramatically improve upon without, uh, you know, some of the more sexier and, uh, uh, you know, livelier aspects of the recruiting game. Exactly. You have to put yourself in position to drop a bag. And you got to have trust in people. Bags don't erase all the other human elements that go into making a decision. If you think you're joining an inept organization, the fact that they gave you 15 extra thousand dollars or something like that is is not going to be, uh, more times than not, your your ultimate destination. So, Right. Because they really can't get the money back. I mean... Let's, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're not gonna, they're not gonna send you collections for that. All right, we we always want to thank our, our servicemen and women, especially those serving overseas and, and and during the holiday season. We always see that we're one of the top sports podcasts in Belgium and, and Japan. I'm like, how? Who is watching college football over there? I'm like, oh, yeah, we we have a lot of folks deployed. So. Are you in the military going through a divorce? Uh, the division of retired pay is a major issue that needs to be done right, or you could lose out on a substantial benefit that you earned for your service. Understanding how disposable retired pay is calculated, the impact of electing survivor benefit premiums, how VA waiver pay works in conjunction with retired pay, the difference between VA disability pay, concurrent retired disability pay, and combat-related disability pay, and the difference between active duty and reserve retirement pay these are complicated issues that you want to make sure you get right. Our guy, Travis Johnson, has over a decade of experience in family law. He's a board-certified expert in the field of family law. There's only 280 of those guys in the state. He will come to you. He has cases throughout the state, experience working with clients overseas as well. You can reach Travis, 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm, 850 435 9919. Get it right the first time. Okay, so uh, Marat asks, uh, you keep referring to John Calipari. What does that even mean? So Calipari uh, is John Calipari, uh, who was the basketball coach at Memphis when Memphis was doing very well. What we had referenced was a lot of people asked, hey, how is Mike Norvell with the boosters? And our Memphis contact told us that he actually uh, had done a pretty good job schmoozing with some of the boosters uh, who uh, John Calipari had done a nice job uh, schmoozing with. So uh, that that's explaining that. Calipari has a reputation as a very aggressive uh, recruiter. He's obviously the coach now at uh, Kentucky, and he lands a lot of really, really good recruits, obviously. Um, if you guys understand what I'm getting at here, he's very good at recruiting, and he's very tight with some boosters. So that's why I took the uh, Calipari reference from my Memphis source as a, as a real positive there in terms of recruiting and also booster relations. So good for recruiting. All right. Uh, Rusty. <laughs> just, just to get to that Calipari's, the people that we're referring to are the people that made it possible for Memphis, uh, to sign, you know, one of the more hyped basketball players in kind of a five year window. Uh, Derek Rose doesn't just pop up, uh, magically qualify and then choose to go to Memphis. Uh, there's, Aspects of the college game that uh, are tiny bit unsavory, and sometimes you need people like that to make that uh, happen. Exactly. Now, there's no evidence, of course, that that Norvell is like pulling four or five stars or anything like that to the Memphis. Because that, that, as far as as far as I know, he was not doing that. Uh, but it is good that I mean, hell, we, we know some boosters who are pretty fired up after hearing him in his opening press conference. Of course, 
you know, we also knew a lot of boosters who were very much in, in love with what Willie was telling them in his first six months. All right, uh, Rusty wants to know, with the hiring of Coach Norvell in place, is FSU picking up any momentum on the recruiting trail? Um, no, not not much, uh, to be honest. It it seems like so far not a lot of kids know who, who Coach Norvell is, uh, but at the same time the, the quotes uh, from the kids, from most of the kids at least, who have met with him uh, seem to be pretty positive. I think he's really turning on the energy in, in these recruiting business with them and, and selling them on his vision, especially the kids on offense who he can point to and say, look, I've had the first, second, and third most explosive offense in the country in, in the last three years. That's that's pretty solid. They're already tweeting out these uh, built-for-playmaker stats. I wish they would use some advanced stats, honestly. I think some of these stats that, that they're using, uh, probably provided by the athletic department, are just kind of like they're fine, but they're not quite as impressive, which is nuts to me because you'd figure like the the aggregate stats wouldn't be as like would be real impressive, and some of the opponent adjusted stats would not. But no, actually, an opponent adjusted offense, their explosiveness rating is first, second, and third in the last three years nationally. I'm like, t- tweet that out. Like that that like the kids may not understand exactly what explosiveness rating is, but I think they could figure out. Oh, first in the nation in explosive offense, second in the nation in explosive offense. That that's a good one. Uh, to use. Um, but look, I mean, this is the early signing period era and you have a head coach change. Your recruiting class is not going to be any good. Some of these kids that you get who are rated highly, you're going to get for a reason because some of these other schools really don't want them that much. I'm not trying to, to piss in your cornflakes here, but like this is the reason why when you fire a coach after two years, you are committing to a long-term rebuild. Your class is not going to be a good class. 